Uh, typically with the creditor, you do want to talk to the Indian call centers or the foreign call centers because they're easier to speak with. They're easier to deal with. They're more believing to your story. This is Susan Chestnut of the Chestnut Law Firm. This is my podcast from foster care to family law, a child welfare focus. I was raised in the foster care system. I was a child abuse investigator for the Department of Children and Families. And now I'm an attorney practicing family law where my passion is to focus on the best interests for the children involved. In my podcast, I will be meeting with industry experts exploring the seemingly impossible scenarios that families often struggle to manage. Each episode will include insights and concepts from professionals that deal with these issues every day. Hi, I'm Susan Chestnut and I'm here with Bill Lewis of William E. Lewis Jr. and Associates. He's a credit repair expert that I recently had a podcast with and we talked about COVID-19, the free annual credit report that was available weekly, an article he wrote. He's also been on the Today Show and was a radio show host for many years giving his advice and input on credit repair. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me, Susan. I wanted you to talk to our listeners about how divorce can affect your credit score. Well, divorce can affect your credit score in many ways. I mean, in relation to credit card accounts, uh, mortgages, vehicles, you know, medical collection accounts. For the most part, you have individuals caring with concern about credit card accounts. You know, you and I may be on a Macy's account, we may be on a Visa or MasterCard or even American Express. Okay, so mm-hmm. when whenever people are on joint accounts, how does, how does the lender look at a potential divorce? Well, the lender doesn't look at a divorce any way differently than they would normally look at the account. I mean, if you have an account with the creditor, whether it be one of the big banks or one of the big box stores, you're held by your contract. I mean, a divorce decree, husband and wife getting a divorce makes no difference to the bank. You're both equally jointly uh, responsible for the account. You know, joint several liability, the husband has 100%, the wife has 100%. Does it ever matter if someone is maybe just an authorized user and is not necessarily a joint credit card? Is there a distinction? Oh, there's a big distinction. I mean, a joint card holder has all the rights and privileges of the account, including 100% of the responsibility. If you're an authorized cardholder, that means I myself, Bill, or you, Susan, would own the account, and then you place the other party on as an authorized cardholder. An authorized cardholder has all the rights and privileges, but none of the financial responsibilities. So if you and I are in an account together, and we subsequently separate or divorce, um, and you remove yourself, the authorized user, you're not responsible for that at all, legally to the bank. Does it have any benefit to you all as far as helping your credit if you are an authorized user on someone's account that does have good credit? Oh, well, it does. Those are those particular accounts are considered as season trade lines. Uh, you can use them in most cases. Husband and wife are together, get married. Usually the husband's maybe a little older, puts the wife on the account. Uh, one person has bad credit in the relationship, places the other one on the account. At the same time, let's say a parent, mother or father, place their children on an account as an authorized card holder. Uh, you may go ahead and have a child leaving for college and they hand them a credit card as they're on their way out the door. As an authorized card holder, they have all the rights and privileges of the account, none of the financial responsibility, but they also reap the benefit of the credit score. So as long as the husband, the wife, the parent pays the account on time every month, the child will get the benefit of it. Um, at the same time, the other spouse would. And you know, any authorized user to the account is going to have the positive 
impact in the account as well as the negative. Uh, the one benefit in the negative is that if all of a sudden the husband and wife or the parents stop paying the card or it charges off, the authorized user can remove themselves from the account. The authorized user can call uh, the bank, they can call the big box store, they can call the credit bureaus of Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion and say, hey, I'm an authorized user, I'm no longer on the account, I do not have the financial responsibility for the account, please remove me. They'll investigate it uh, and remove you you know, from the account, thus removing you from the credit report. Okay. Is there ever a, a risk that a person takes or is there a disadvantage to taking yourself off an account? Is, For example, while it is benefiting your credit, if you don't have to, should you leave yourself on it? Leave yourself on as long as you can. If you and I are husband and wife and the others on the account as an authorized user, typically you'll stay on that account for the life of the account itself or the life of the relationship. If I'm a parent placing their child on the account, uh, they're going to get the benefit of my 5, 10, 15, 20-year-old account. So thus they're going to have a very high credit score. Uh, the benefit is that you're going to reap the high credit score and what comes along with that, better rates, terms, and conditions on your own credit cards, any vehicles that you purchase, and even mortgage loans if you're applying for a mortgage loan. If you remove yourself from the account, the account may still stay on the credit report, but once the use of the account is terminated to the authorized user, your credit score is not going to be impacted uh, anymore in relation to that. Is there any impact on your credit score if, for example, as an authorized user, the person who is the account owner has a high debt to income ratio? Yes, well, that could significantly reduce your credit score. You know, there's pros and cons. There's several dozen, if not over 100, characteristics to a credit score. Okay, get to credit limit ratio is one of them. With that said, Susan, is that the account that you're placed on a seasoned trade line or an authorized user typically maybe 5, 10, 15 years old. The positive impact of that account is going to significantly outweigh the negative, even though approximately 30 to 35 percent of your credit score is the debt to credit limit ratios. 15 percent of the credit score is uh, the oldest accounts on your credit report. The significance is going to actually work out in your favor. So yes, you may have a high debt to credit limit ratio impacting your score, but the age of the accounts is going to equal that out and you know actually benefit and help your score. Okay. When people are separating from each other financially, are they at a disadvantage taking that? Let me start over. If, if you're separating your finances and you start to establish your own credit, is there any advantage to leaving yourself on all of the accounts and, and just accepting what it is to keep your credit history? The short answer is yes. I mean, if you and I are married and all of a sudden we're either separating, you know, getting a divorce and you're an authorized user on all my accounts, it's going to be more beneficial to you right now to leave yourself on those accounts. With that said, the husband, the spouse, myself may sit there and decide, wait a second, I'm going to remove you because Susan may go out or Bill may go out and go shopping. And as long as Susan or Bill are on those accounts, we're authorized to use them to the full extent of the accounts. Some banks and financial institutions will even allow an authorized user to call in and receive information on the account. Mm. So if all of a sudden you decide to go out or I decide to go out and charge the card up to the max, the individual cardholder, you know, the individual who owns the account is financially responsible. So if you have a ten or $12,000 credit limit on any account, 
you go out and jack it up and then all of a sudden remove yourself, you know, the original card holder is going to be responsible. And there's nothing that they can typically do about it. I've as long as you or I are on the account, you know, you're 100% responsible. I've seen that in divorces where an angry spouse just plowed through someone's credit limit to leave that person with all of the debt. How do you how do you resolve that issue as the, the spouse victim in that case? Well, you say victim, you have to make a determination of whether those charges were authorized. If you and I are getting a divorce, or I feel that I'm gonna get a divorce, or let's say tomorrow I'm gonna to file for dissolution or annulment, I'm going to go in and remove you from all my accounts right now. I'm gonna remove you from every Visa, MasterCard, American Express. I'm going to remove you, I'm gonna terminate your usage to all those store accounts. Every single account that I can find, I'm going to terminate the use. And how I'm gonna find out just to be on the safe side is I'm gonna pull a copy of my credit report. So that way I can go from A to Z in case I'm missing an account. I have several dozen, if not over a hundred credit cards myself. So I may miss something. The only problem with that is that if I miss it and you go in and charge something on it, okay, I'm still gonna be responsible. There's nothing I can do. So if I'm filing for divorce, if I'm filing for an annulment action, I'm going to go ahead and remove you first. Now, if tomorrow I remove you from everything, you may still have those accounts. The wife or the husband may still have the credit cards and they stay, still may be able to use them or try to use them. And because the account numbers are the same, they may work. Okay, at that point though, I would complain that the account was fraudulent, that you know Bill or Susan were removed from the account on May 1st, okay, and Bill and Susan used the account on May 5th after the dissolution or annulment action was filed. So it could be potentially a fraud charge. How cooperative are lenders in those situations? Well, you get different call centers and, you know, the reverse of the credit bureaus, whereas typically you do not want to talk to the Indian or the foreign call centers, typically with the creditors, you do want to talk to, okay, the Indian call centers or the foreign call centers because they're easier to speak with. They're easier to deal with. They're more believing to your story. They're more believing to your plight. Whereas that if I call and speak to an American-based representative or American-based fraud representative, uh, they're going to be less believing. Uh, It's like, okay, you know, you removed Bill or Susan three or four days ago from the account, and all of a sudden you're disputing these charges. Okay, typically when you're removing somebody from an account, the question that they're going to ask is, have you had an opportunity to retrieve the card from Bill or Susan? Have you had an opportunity to get the card back? And your answer typically and should be yes. If it is yes, how did they get that information? Well, you know, the other spouse uh, may already have a copy of it. You know, they may have it saved in their computer, especially if they do a lot of online ordering through Amazon or the online services of, uh, of these different banks. So, you know, these different merchants. So, you know, in removing them, you always want to talk to the foreign service representatives. They're, they're more helpful, they're more believing. What about a spouse who finds out, because in family law, we have to do financial disclosures in every divorce, just about. And a lot of spouses find credit cards and other accounts that their credit and social and their, it's actually their account that their spouse got on their behalf or with them without their knowledge. How do you deal with that situation? Well, it's not gonna be with them and without their knowledge because if it's with them, it would be with their knowledge, Susan. But what I mean is if they're on the internet and they apply to- No, I understand and and I'm giving it, you know, it's a very important distinction here, you know, and it's not meant to, you know, speak down to anybody that's applying for one of these accounts. But essentially what you wanna do is that with them and on the account, 
are two totally separate things. Okay. You know, just because I'm on the internet doesn't mean I'm applying for that account. If my spouse or my future ex-spouse uh, has applied for that account, I have no knowledge to it. It's in fact a fraudulent account. If I pull a copy of my credit report from Equifax, Experion, and TransUnion, and I see an account from Macy's or Bloomingdale's or Saks Fifth Avenue or, or for anything, you know, what is it? What is this? And then it's an individual account and there's charges on it. That's not my account. You can sign up on the internet all you want. Uh, I have in the past uh, recommended and all of our credit repair clients have placed fraud alerts on our credit reports. Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion will give you the opportunity to place an alert for one year to seven years, depending on your individual individual situation. And in doing so, what you want to do is place those alerts on the file. So if Bill or Susan apply for an account in the other person's name, okay, I'm going to get an alert. Bill's going to get a text message. Susan's going to get a text message. We're going to get a phone call saying, hey, Bill or Susan, did you apply for this Macy's card? And at that time, I'm going to say, no, I did not. And the account's going to be declined. Uh, if you have somebody that's involved in a bad situation, they haven't done that. And they subsequently learn that there's a negative account in their credit report as a result of that. They can file a fraud claim. Mm-hmm. You know, we did not apply for that account. How was that account paid? Susan applied for an account under Bill's name. That's great. Who paid for the account? Oh, the account's been open for three years. 36 consecutive months, the money's coming out of Susan's checking account. Where's Bill's signature? Oh, what's the email address? Where are the orders coming from? Oh, it's an online order from Bloomingdale's or Macy's? Oh, well, it's going to Susan at XYZ, 1234 Main Street. Has Bill ever used this card? Mm-hmm. And you're going to find in some situations, Susan may apply for a card in Bill's name, Bill apply for a card in Susan's name. When they receive the card, they actually add themselves to the card. So they'll log into the online portal, you know, under Bill's name and add Susan to the account as an authorized cardholder. You know, so that way now Susan has her own card under Bill's account that he never applied for. But that's traceable, isn't it? That it's from an authorized oh, That is, that is traceable. You know, the problem with that is that it's usually traceable to your house. Right. It's usually traceable to your office. So we already know who applied for the account, Susan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you file the report, it's already traceable, you know, back, you know, to your IP address because essentially this spouse presumably lives with you. Right. I I have some experience as a victim of fraud myself, and I had a fraud alert. I think I still have it on my file, and it's been there for decades at this point. But I have more than I could count on two hands been denied credit because of that fraud alert on my file. What what do you have to say about that? Well, it has pros and its cons, okay? You have to learn, okay? Number one is that if you have the extended victim alert on your credit report, typically it's a seven-year alert at Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Well, you have to remember, and especially in this day and age um, with the identity theft and how it's going online, is you have to remember when you place that alert on the credit report, specifically, okay? Because a lot of times the bank or financial institution will call you. Okay, and as long as the credit bureau report has your cell number or your home number, whatever number that you're using, they'll be able to reach you. If there's no phone number on the fraud alert, they'll automatically decline you credit. Typically, you get a letter in the mail saying, Susan, Bill, we couldn't grant your credit because we couldn't reach you. If you really apply for this account, please call this number with this reference number. On the flip side of the coin, if there is a phone number on there and they call Bill or Susan, they're going to call and ask us some personal questions. Okay, did you apply for this Macy's card? Yes. Did you um, apply online? Yes. Okay, and they'll come up with some security questions. You Typically four questions. Usually it's your mortgage. Do you have a mortgage? Uh, if so, what bank? They'll give you four choices. It's multiple choice. Okay, at that point, if you answer them, 
uh, correctly, they'll go on what's your monthly payment. And then typically they'll ask you for a vehicle loan. Um, typically question four or five is that, Susan or Bill, do you have a fraud alert on your credit report? And if so, when did you place it? Mm-hmm. Okay, and if I was placed in December and I tell them February, then I'm gonna be denied because I got the answer wrong. Right. Okay, so you know, for those individuals that have the extended fraud victim alert on their credit report, nine out of 10 times I tell them they should not apply for a card online. And if you walk into a store, store at the mall, you know, give them a point of sale, you know, at the, at the point of sale place, you know, which is cash register, you know, let the clerk know ahead of time, hey, I have an alert on my credit report. You know, can you call it and can you do it manually? Please don't do it from the cash register because if you do it from the cash register, it's going to be automatically declined. That's you know, really typically good they'll do it anyway because they think they're smarter. You know, it'll get declined and then you have to get some manager on the phone. That's fantastic. But, you know, the, the benefits of having the seven-year fraud alert, though, far outweigh, you know, the cons. You know, for as much of a problem that you or I are going to have to apply for credit, so is someone else. Any other little tips like that? That that was juicy, Bill. Well, that's, a, you know, basically when, in relation to fraud alerts, that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have to know where you're applying and which... A bank or financial institution typically will pull which report. If you're a victim of identity theft and you constantly have problems, you can put a freeze on your credit report. Basically freezing, it means that uh, no one is going to be able to access the Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion reports with the exception of your current creditors. So if I, if I apply at Macy's, okay, it's going to be frozen. But if I already have an existing relationship with Macy's, they'll be able to pull it up. Interesting. So what other things can someone do to protect themselves when they're planning a divorce or involved in a divorce? Well, if we're planning the divorce, you want to obtain a copy of your credit report with Equifax, Experion, and TransUnion. First and foremost, and going back to your earlier point, is these accounts that are on my report, are they mine? Did I apply for them? Do I recognize them? A lot of times you look at a credit report and you'll automatically come to um, the opinion or the conclusion that, wait a second, that's not my account. Okay, but Home Depot is with Citibank. Victoria's Secrets with Community Bank. You know, Macy's is with Citibank. Same with Home Depot. So when you look at the credit report, you got to figure out which account is what. You know, make a determination of whether or not the accounts in your credit report are in fact yours, that the balances are correct, and that you don't have any authorized cardholders on those accounts. Now, a lot of times what will happen, Susan, is you and I will be married, and we're a joint cardholder, which means we're jointly and separately liable for the account 100% good, bad, or indifferent. But all of a sudden we decide, wait a second, I'm getting a divorce, I'm gonna close that account. Think twice before you do that because in doing so you could actually drop and negatively impact your credit score. First and foremost, if you have accounts that are old, okay, 15% of your credit score is the age of the oldest accounts and responsible payment history. The moment I close them, I lose longevity. And typically I'm gonna close them, but close them out of spite. Okay, and in closing them out of spite, I'm not gonna be able to pay them off. You know, so I may have a balance and I'm going to continue to pay a balance. So now what I'm doing is I'm paying a balance or a substantial monthly balance or payment on accounts that have large balances. So not only do I have a closed account, why was it closed? I may owe $5,000 on an account with a zero credit limit. Now that's going to impact my credit score even more. And at the same time, you're impacting your, your spouse. A lot of times we get a credit repair client that'll want to clean up their spouse's credit simply because they can move on. If you and I are married and maybe we have bad credit, you know, I tell them, hey, look, clean up your wife's credit, clean up your husband's credit. Well, why would I want to do that? Well, how do you want them on your credit card accounts for the rest of your life? You know, you may spend a few thousand dollars cleaning up their credit, 
but now in cleaning up their credit, their credit scores are higher, their risk is less, they can go out and apply for their own car. You know, in other words, you and I have two cars, they're in both of our names. Okay, they're always gonna be in both of our names unless you refinance the car. But if one of us has bad credit, they're not gonna be able to refinance. So in cleaning up the credit, they're gonna go back in and be able to refinance. And a lot of times you'll have one spouse cleaning up the other's credit because now the husband or wife or the ex-husband and wife are gonna have great credit. They can get their own vehicle. Going through the dissolution or annulment action, they're able to say, okay, you know what? Bill gets one car, Susan gets the other car. We're gonna refinance each of these cars under our own name. And by doing so, you know, we're gonna separate the liability. So a lot of times you'll see somebody coming back and saying, I'm going to fix the spouse's credit just for the mere purpose of being able to let them move on in life. Sometimes you have an older uh, couple, you know, husband maybe was in charge of the home, in charge of all the bills. The wife, you know, was basically the, you know, the mother and, you know, the housewife basically didn't have a lot of the financial responsibility, didn't pay the bills every month. And then later on in life, they really don't have a lot of credit because as they start to get older and they're a little bit more old school, they've paid all their bills. They paid their home, they paid their vehicle. So now all of a sudden they go out to apply for credit and wonder why they have a 550 or 600 credit score. It's because you have no credit. The credit that you had is old, it's paid off, it's fallen off your credit report. It's great to have a million dollar home and Rolls Royce in the driveway, but then you go to the mall and can't get a credit card because you have no credit. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how likely is a credit card company going to be to negotiate a balance, let's say if you and I are divorcing and, and we decide we got to get out of this and we want to negotiate our debt down. Are they willing to do that? If the account is performing and you pay it every month, the answer is no. You know, typically the only time a creditor will negotiate a balance is that when you're uh, 60, 90, 120 days delinquent, you know, and by then you've destroyed your credit. So if you only owe a few thousand dollars on your credit cards, it's better for the husband and wife to figure out who's going to pay what. Uh, or even take the money from you know the marital assets now and pay the accounts off because if all of a sudden the judge says well Bill's going to pay this account Susan's going to pay that account uh, they may have good intentions but one of us may lose our job one of us may have a problem down the road and then you know destroy the other's credit you know they'll destroy their credit but then of course their former spouse so a lot of times what you'll want to do is go back in and just either pay them off in the marital um, assets or you know open up separate accounts and transfer the balances. So if you, are you saying earlier that if you don't actively have credit that you're not really probably going to have a good credit score? Well, no, you know, having a ghost or being a ghost means you'll have no credit score. Typically you'll need three accounts on your credit report uh, with activity within the last two years in order to have any credit score whatsoever. Sometimes you'll have a client that will clean up their credit and they'll have 10 bad accounts in the credit report. You may clean up all 10 accounts on the credit report. Now they're a ghost. They have no credit, no credit score. So yes, it'll be difficult to get you know credit started. That goes back to your earlier point of season trade lines. If they're married, you and I are husband and wife, we can go on as an authorized user on a couple of those accounts. Uh, let's say your parents are still around and you have the ability to talk with them. Uh, you have the ability to say, hey, look, mom, dad, can you put me on a couple of your credit cards? You know, the general answer to the question, or when I tell the clients this, is they start and they tell me, no, 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 that's not going to happen. You know, mom and dad's not going to do that. And I said, well, you can tell mom and dad, look, you know, I don't need to borrow any money from you. I just need to establish my own credit. If you put me on as an authorized cardholder, I have all the rights and privileges. You don't have to give me the card, though. You don't have to give me possession of the card. And some parents may not be 
you know, willing to open those accounts because you're like, wait a second, I'm going to give Bill or Susan a credit card and they're going to go out and burn me. You know, they've done it before. So why are they, why am I going to believe they're not going to do it now? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the client will go back or I'll explain to us, look, you know, open the account, keep the card. You know, as far as the account numbers, the account number is going to appear on the credit report with the exception of the last four. Okay. So unless the child has a possession of the card, okay, they're not going to be able to use the card. And of course, that's not an entirely perfect statement because some credit reports you can get on your own or you can figure out the last four, depending on the accounts, a lot of them are zero, 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 one and things like that. So, you know, the parent, you tell them up front, look, you know, pay attention to the account. Yes, you're putting Bill or Susan on as an authorized cardholder, but you're only doing it to jack their credit score. So now all of a sudden they have three accounts in their credit report for 10, 12 months, 10, 12 years, actually. Instead of having no credit score, their scores are going to be in the high sevens, low eights. Do you have to wait until your child is 18 for them to see a benefit to that? No. When can you add your child? Legally, you can, well, for them to have a legal responsibility to 18. Okay, but most credit card companies will accept a child at 13. You know, my now 14-year-old daughter has had an American Express card for several years. So does she have a credit history herself then? She does, but it's frozen. Okay. Because what we did was as soon as we added her to a couple of accounts, I froze her social security number. All three of my children are frozen. You know, so that way if somebody applies for an account, they won't be able to obtain that. Uh, And that goes back to another point. If you have minor children, you want to go ahead and check to see if they have a credit report. Uh, several years ago, the law changed. You used to be able to get a state ID card in Florida at 12 years old. Okay, basically a state ID card is basically a driver's license with all the features with the exception of the right to drive. Okay, it identifies you by name, date of birth, social security number. Although the social security number is not actually on the ID card itself, it's with the records of the state of Florida, the Division of Highway Safety Motor Vehicles. So the law changed. We've been pushed several years ago from 12 years old to five years old. So you can bring your five-year-old wow. into DMV and apply for a state ID card, bring their uh, passport if they have one. Uh, you can also bring their, their birth certificate and social security card. So at that point, Susan, what you're able to do is you're able to tie up the use of that social. So if somebody walks into a driver's license office anywhere in the country and applies either for a driver's license or a state ID card says, you know, I'm Susan, I'm Bill. My social security number is this. Okay, so wait a second, there's some kid in Florida that owns that social. You know, you're not gonna get that. So all my kids have state ID cards. Okay, so there's, and they got them at five years old. So with that said, the name is tied to the date of birth. It's tied to the social security number. My oldest daughter has her own credit card, you know, that she uses and basically we pay attention to her every month. Her little brother and sister, sometimes we use it. And at that point it gets restricted because usually it burn out the credit limit pretty quick. So what you want to do is, you know, obviously keep an eye on it and make sure their, their accounts are frozen. Even you know, if the sure accounts are frozen, are they still reaping the benefit of being an authorized user? Yes, because as an authorized user on those accounts, basically they're getting the credit history from the entire account, not only their use, but the entire account. So the higher the credit limit, the better it's going to be for them. The credit scores have to be ordered independently because not only are their files frozen, they're, you know, as juveniles, they want to go ahead and prove the identity. So you can't just go online and pull their credit report. I, as a parent or their mother, would have to go ahead and submit something in writing or a letter in writing stating that we want to get a copy of their credit report at Equifax, Experian, or TransUnion. I have to attach any proof of their identity. Most kids don't have proof of identity, so it's usually the parents having to attach their driver's license and social security card to the letter. 
in my kid's case, you know, they have proof of ID. So, you know, they're able to attach it. And then the letter is signed by me, the parent, you know, the father or their mother stating that they want to get a copy of the report. So I can't just go on the computer and pull a copy of their credit report, even if I have all their identifying data. Once it's identified as a minor, okay, you're not going to be able to pull that report until they turn 18 years old. So we've talked about building credit and then we just now specifically talked about minors. Earlier you mentioned maybe a woman that had been a housewife and didn't have any financial history when she was starting over after a divorce. You also mentioned that maybe there would be three accounts that would start to build that good credit for you. What type of accounts are the ones that you should start building credit with? Are there any in specific? Well, you want to get a good mix of credit, you know, as part of the negotiation, if you're going through a divorce and let's say I'm the spouse that maybe in this case is the female, because sometimes they're an older female and they're not, you know, credit savvy, or maybe they basically were the housewife and mother. And so they didn't really have anything. They should obtain a copy of their credit report first to determine what credit they have. Okay. Are these accounts joint accounts? Okay, if the accounts are joint accounts, that's great. They're already going to have credit. There's not going to be a lot of issue. They want to pay attention also if they're authorized users on these accounts, and a lot of them are because the older the husband is, okay, you know, the accounts that were open in the 70s and 80s, a lot of times it's like, oh, and put my wife on. Here's her social. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of those individuals, a lot of those spouses aren't aware that all they have to do is call the bank and say, remove you know, bill or remove Susan from the account. Those accounts should still be on the credit report and it's going to help the other spouse. To better answer your original part of the question or the original question itself is that you want to look at the mix and the mix is all based on what's on your credit report. If there are no accounts on your credit report, okay, you want to start with a credit card. Do you have a vehicle loan? Okay, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to open up a security account. The problem with the security account is that's not really going to help them. It's going to give them a trade line, Susan, but a lot of times they'll go in to Capital One uh, or Credit One and open an account with $300 or $500 or $1,000 as a secure credit line. They may have an account at Bank of America, you know, like a savings or checking account. Their rep at Bank of America is going to sit there and say, hey, Susan, you know, I will open a secured account for you. We'll move $1,000 to this account. What they didn't tell them okay is is that it's going to take six months to a year before that account reports because in the small print is that we don't report this account for six months or we don't report this account for a year until it's fully performing okay and at that point it's going to report as a secured account uh, at equifax experience and transunion yes it helps positively for an account but the lower your credit limit the lower your credit score is going to be you're going to say well why is that bill how how can that be well you know susan if i have a 300 dollars credit line and I use that $300 every month, even if I pay it off every month, my debt to credit limit ratio is going to be maxed out. Okay, so I don't want to take those low limit credit cards because actually I'm going to do myself more hurt, more harm than I am good. Mm-hmm. So. so as a takeaway, what do, you, what do you think the most important thing is for someone besides to pull their credit reports, because knowledge is power, but what do you think the, the most important thing for someone to do to protect themselves when they're separating and divorcing? Well, if I'm gonna separate, you and I are getting a divorce, and let's say you have no idea that you know I'm gonna file for dissolution or annulment. The first thing I'm gonna do is remove you from those accounts, but I'm also gonna place fraud alerts on my credit report because you may be vindictive. You know, let's say, and using your earlier example, that one spouse goes out and applies to credit in the other spouse's name and they're not aware of it. I'm gonna place a fraud alert on my credit report. 
immediately, Equifax, Experion, and TransUnion. Now, when you call Equifax, they're going to tell you, you know, that we're going to send that report alert or the fraud alert to the other bureaus of Experian and TransUnion and vice versa. Uh, I always suggest to my clients and, you know, individuals that are going to uh, file these, take the extra five minutes, do the alert yourself. I mean, they can call Equifax at um, 800-525-6285 and place the alert. They'll ask them what their name is, their social security number, uh, their date of birth and zip code and the like. And at that point, they'll add the alert to the credit report. How they do so is they'll ask you for the mobile number, what your cell number is, and you'll place that. And at that point, the service will tell you that we're going to send you a text message. Okay, and when they send you the text message, it's going to give you a four to six digit PIN number. And at that point, Susan, you're going to enter that four to six digit PIN number in the telephone in which uh, you're placing the original call. And that validates, you know, your My Equifax account or your My Equifax fraud alert. I tell clients always at that point to call Experian and TransUnion to do the same thing, because although uh, Equifax may forward their information to the other credit reporting agencies, if their name, date of birth, social security number, and other personal identifiers don't match up, uh, then that alert's not going to be placed. Every single piece of personally identifying information must match, or the alert will not go through. So when they call Equifax, they can do so at 800-525-6285, take about five minutes, hang up the phone, call Experion at 888-397-3742, that's option four. And then of course they can call TransUnion at 800-680-7289, that's also option four, you know, for the fraud alert. Place the one-year alert, and when they do so, they'll get copies of those reports. Okay, make sure the alert's placed before I think about you know, serving the other spouse. Because if the other spouse uh, is problematic or may go out and burn my credit cards uh, or apply for credit, at least I'm, you know, minimally protected. And you gotta remember is that once once I file for that divorce, I mean, just like in the instance of identity theft, if I didn't open that account, it's not mine, I have no knowledge of it. I have no problem filing a fraud report. You know, if I file for divorce or annulment uh, against you, Susan, I'm gonna make sure, okay, that there are no accounts there. And if there are, you know, like you said, knowledge is power. It's like, wait a second, you know, you apply for this account. That's a crime. Mm-hmm. I never authorized you to do that. You know, my attorney is going to sit there and let your attorney know that's a crime. Mm-hmm. And that personal use of my, you know, or use of my personal information is identity theft. Punishable up to five years. But if you're convicted in Florida, there's a two-year minimum mandatory. You know, you can get two years in jail for that. Mm. So, you know, at that point, you know, it's a negotiating tool in my uh, dissolution or annulment action. That's great, Bill. You, this is all very fascinating. I've learned quite a bit, and I know that our listeners are going to learn from this too, very much so. Thank you very much for being on. Any, tell us how to get a hold of you if someone's maybe overwhelmed with the process themselves or doesn't know how to do it. Well, they can contact me at my office. My number is 772-324-6400. That's 772 772- Three two four sixty four hundred. All right, and of course, if you're going through a divorce or separating, and you need some legal advice on these issues, please give me a call, and uh, you know where to find me. All right, thanks, Bill. You're welcome, Susan. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of From Foster Care to Family Law: A Child Welfare Focus. I hope that this interview provided some valuable insight to help you deal with your unique circumstances. If you found this episode useful, please share this with friends and family that could benefit from this information. If you have a family law need or related matter, please contact me directly and I will be happy to help you.